All right. Let's, uh, oh, uh, could somebody over in that corner grab the baskets? Does anybody know where the baskets are for the offerings? Um, and it's Carol Heidorn here for the 4th of July parade to help out with that, which is, by the way, of course, you know, next weekend on the 4th. Um, the parade starts at 10 o'clock, right? And if you're volunteering, what time should people show up if they're volunteering? It's going to help set up 7.30. Okay. Okay. If you need to know, ask Carol. She has all the answers. Yeah, okay. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer here. And then uh, fold your hands, bow your heads, close your eyes. Right? That's the order it goes. I always get that mixed up. Let's pray. Grant us, O oh God, to hear your voice. And in hearing your voice, to love your word, and in loving your word, to do your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, everybody got a handout? Very good. This is not what I wrote on the board last week. I don't know if this is Pastor Nelson. It could be. I think it... I'll erase this. So, what we need to do is start by just quickly refreshing where we are. Um, where have we been? Anybody want to chime in? Where, where did we start? Can't we, so we started with David, and what was David's condition? Dying, right? So this is, the, this is the story here. David, we get Solomon, Temple, Eden. But then what happens to Solomon? Go, it's bad news, right? Um, he starts worshiping other gods. Um, but the judgment is not, is not uh, doled out on Solomon. It's doled out on his son, Rehoboam. Remember that name? Uh, he, um, he and Jeroboam take different parts of the kingdom. The kingdom splits and they war continually the rest of their days. Um, but God is not, of course, without, without mercy, Right? And this is the theme. This is the theme we have running in the book of first books of first and second kings, right? So when things seem to be sort of at their worst, what does God do? He shows he shows grace. So in the third generation after Solomon, King Asa sort of breaks the mold, doesn't act according to the sins of his of his fathers. Um, he tears down tears down the the, uh, the the altars to the gods, and he even kicks out his mom, who's an idolatress, right? says, none of this, we, we're going to follow God. Um, but then things spiraled, once again, downhill. Who did we end with? Do you remember who the last, the last person in the story was that we ended with? The very end of chapter 16. Ahab and, yeah, Ahab and Jezebel, right? And uh, you remember how, you remember how, it, was, how it was written? Um, it, set, it read, let me read it to you, the exact words, because it, it's so striking. I mean, whoever... Whoever the author is um, wrote it in such a such a uh, evocative way, um, and as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, Ahab took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Right, so he did the worst that he could do. Right, chapter sixteen's over now. Chapter seventeen. Um, so we we had a little a little resurrection here with Asa, and then things go back down again with Ahab. 
And we'll find out later that Ahab really, 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 really was, uh, was in bad shape. But at the beginning of chapter 17, Elijah shows up. And this is, this is once again thematic for the book of First and Second Kings, um, that God shows up with mercy, with compassion, precisely when people are at their, at their worst, precisely when they need his compassion the most. So, everybody take a look. at You got your handouts there. Um, let's just read the first, the first verse here of uh, chapter 17. This is, what, this is Elijah's, first, Elijah's first appearance in the book of 1 Kings. This is what it says. Ahab just, just did, you know, was, was introduced. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishba and Gilead, said to Ahab, okay, this is the first thing he does. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Okay? So now, if, you're gonna, if, you're, if you hear those words, how, do you, how would you describe what Elijah is saying? What kind of words are those? A punishment, okay, yeah. A warning, right? Judgment. Them's fighting words, right? Okay, is there any way that you can see those as words of gospel? How? Yes, okay, that was as obvious. <laughs> yes, how can you see them as gospel? That's right, he said, he's saying... I can say the word, and everything's going to be better, right? Um, this, so this goes, this goes uh, the, sort of the theme for today is the, what, what, you, what you hear frequently around here is that every word, every word can be taken two ways, right? It's like, so now I have to confess, I've been waiting a long time to use this example. And, uh, and, I'm, and uh, I hope, so it's, li- it's, like, it's like this. The other day, I, my wife was cutting my hair, and uh, um, she, she said to me, well, there's good news and there's bad news. And she said, it's taking less time to cut your hair. And I said, where's the good news? But, you know, so every word can be taken both ways, right? So for her, it was great news. It's taking less time for me. It's, you know, well. But... That's the, that's the story we've got going here. So Elijah comes along and says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. If you push against that, if you say, God hates me, I want nothing to do with him, then there's not going to be rain, right? Because Elijah is, is, is exercising this word of judgment. What do you think Ahab should do? What do you think he should do? Ask, yeah, he's got a prophet standing right before him, right? Prophet's a good person to ask for advice, right? And, and how should his posture be? What kind of a posture should he have before God and before God's prophet? Humble, yeah, humility, right? So um, you remember the story of uh, David and Bathsheba. This is a, that, it's a, it's such a crucial story in, um, in First and Second Samuel. Um, do you remember what happens when, when David sins, God... God gives him this word of judgment. He says, your son is going to die. Do you remember what David did when God said his son was going to die? He said, he said I have sinned against the Lord. What did he, what did he do? He prayed. he prayed. Right. He petitioned God. 
So for, for him, God's word, even that, that, that strict word of judgment, was not just, um, it wasn't a word that led to despair, but it was a word which prompted him to trust in God all the more, right? To petition God, to come before God and, uh, and believe that, the, that, that God has his, his best in mind, right? So the people were astounded because he prayed and, and wept and fasted and wore sackcloth and, and poured ashes on his head while his son was dying. But then once his son was dead, do you remember what he said? He won't return to me, but I will go to him, right? So he, even then, even when the judgment had been executed, uh, he trusted in God's promise. For him, that word, even though it was a word that, uh, that, that was, was consequential, it was fulfilling God's, God's judgment for him, for, for David, for faithful David, that word was a word of promise, okay? And, and he held to it. Now, this is, this is in stark contrast to some of the other characters that we see in these stories. So, Jeroboam, the king who takes over Israel, uh, takes away the tribes of Israel from, from Rehoboam. Now I'm losing you. Let me get you back. Um, Jeroboam uh, turns away from God. He builds some golden calves just like Aaron did in the wilderness. And uh, a prophet comes to him and says, you've, done, you've sinned against the Lord. And here's what's going to happen. Your son is going to die. And the prophet says to Jeroboam's wife, your son is going to die as soon as you step, step foot across the threshold of the city. And, and so confronted with those words, what do you think she ought to have done? Well, she, was, she was outside the city going back into the city, right? But, but anyways, yeah, she, she, should have, she should have prayed. She should have pled with God. She should have asked for God's mercy, right? Instead, she despaired. She, she didn't trust in God's in God's compassion, right? She went back to the city and just resigned herself to, to God's judgment and didn't, and didn't plead with God, okay? We're going to see this again in a very in crucial point later on in, uh, in this section of First Kings. So let's move, let's move down the road here. Um, so we have Elijah. Ahab doesn't respond to his word the way he should. Elijah pronounces this famine, uh, this, 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 uh, this drought, which leads to a famine, and it happens, okay? Now, we have a couple of scenes with Elijah. Um, the, at the center of First and Second Kings, we bridge next week, we start Second Kings. At the center of First and Second Kings is the story of Elijah and Elisha. The prophets are right at the middle of this story. And, and these, these stories are so interesting because of, because of the, uh, the, 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 way, the, the character of the narrative. So, Listen, I want to read uh, just this first episode with the widow of Zarephath. This is on pages one and two, okay? I want to read this to you, and um, I want you to note how much it sounds like a gospel lesson, a lesson from, from one of the gospels, okay? Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went away and did as Elijah said. And she and, her, she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Okay, let's pause there for a second. So, gospel stories that come to mind? Feeding narratives, right? Okay. Um, there's all, all kinds of times that, that Jesus, uh, Jesus deals with... Um, there's one instance in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus is dealing with, I think it's the, the, the scribes or the Pharisees or somebody who's opposing him, and he's, he wants, wants to be clear um, that, judge, that, that they've rejected him. He has, his people have rejected him, and he says, he says to them, he reminds them, you remember back in the days of the kings, there were many widows in the land of Israel, but to none of them did Elijah go except for the widow of Zarephath, right, who was not a, not a Jew, but a Gentile, just like Jesus so frequently, so poignantly helps the Gentiles in the Gospels, right? It's, it's those stories that stand out so, so significantly um, in, in many ways. The Syrophoenician woman, the, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, right? These people that he helps outside the house of Israel. Um, and this is, uh, this is kind of a fulfillment in many ways of what God, what God said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy. He said to them, um, when you reject me, when you reject me, I'm going to go and help a people who, who have not called on me. I'm going to go and I'm going to help a people who are not called by my name to, to make you jealous, to make you, uh, to make you seek me again. Okay? So, so we, we pause there. Um, he helps her by feeding her. He takes care. He, he, just like he said, by his word, he has sort of command over this famine, over this drought. Now look what happens next. It gets better. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. This is page 2. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God, that you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him into the upper room where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Again, I mean, the, the, the gospel story, it rings, it just rings of a gospel story, right? Uh, it, the, the, the connection between Jesus and Elijah is, is so evident, is so apparent. Elijah is um, not only the one who comes to feed the hungry, but he's one who comes to raise the dead, right? So the question at stake is, so Elijah has spoken some big words. I, you know, it's not going to rain. But, what can, but yeah, you know, that's, we can handle that. Ahab, Ahab goes searching around for pasture for his cows, right? We can handle that. But what else can Elijah do? He can reach down into death, right, and bring somebody back from the dead, right? His, his, the word of the Lord is that, is, is that potent, is that uh, um, effective. And this episode here is setting the stage for... Um, a full demonstration, a full demonstration of God's, of God's glory. Everybody on board so far? Yes, Emily. I noticed that he cried out three times. Yeah. 
Not insignificant. I don't think, uh, so I'll just say this. When, when you hear a number in First and Second Kings, it's usually pretty important, right? We'll see the number three later again. But what happens on the third day? Jesus rises from the dead. What, so Asa was the third generation. King Asa, good King Asa, was the third generation after Solomon. Um, uh, the, the, the significance of that number three is, is, uh, is looking ahead to Jesus' rest in the tomb, right? His three-day rest in the tomb. Okay, now we've got to move on. Chapter 18. So um, Elijah has been sojourning in this, in this other land, not in the land of Israel. And then in the third year, there it is again. Look at that. Verse 1 of chapter 18. In the third year, some reprieve. Ahab comes to... Or Elijah comes to uh, Ahab. The word of the Lord came to him, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, I think you probably know this story, right? The, uh, uh, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. Remember how this goes? They meet at the, they meet at the mountain and um, he says, we're going to have a contest. Um, he says, stop being so lukewarm. Um, either God is God or he's not. So you got to, you know, one or the other. You can't have it both ways. And he, so now I'm going to, we're flying along here. So now we're on page three, all right? This is what he said. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. He says, I, even I, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So he invites them to this challenge. When, how, what does the challenge consist of? What do they do? And it, just go ahead, shut it out. Two, okay. Two altars, two bowls, right? What do they do? Okay, first, first the prophets of Baal are supposed to try and see if Baal will accept their offering, right? And they, do, they go through all of these motions and Elijah is mocking them. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe, you know, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's deaf, right? Um, and nothing happens. The 450 prophets of Baal, they're slashing themselves they're, and they're just they're desperate because Baal is not God. Baal doesn't exist. Now Elijah comes along and says, guys, I got this. He says, pour water, pour water on everything. Right? Do it again. Do it again. There's water on everything. And then he prays. Let's see, where is this? Verse 36, bottom of page 4. And then at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near. Sorry, page 4. Last paragraph. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. So, what's, it's, 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 self, it's obvious now. What's God's end game in sending Elijah? What's his end game? Why does Elijah come to confront Ahab? To get people to turn back to him, okay? This is, uh, this is really, uh, there's nothing more merciful than that, right? His, his, his goal is not to, uh, to, you know, to scold the people for being idolaters. It's to win back their hearts. It's to draw them back to himself. We heard this um, in, when Solomon dedicated the temple. I want to read to you just a couple of parts of what Solomon said when he dedicated the temple. Um, he, in it, he prayed and he said, If there's famine in your land, which is what's going on right now, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if the enemy besieges them in their land at their gates, whatever plague or sickness there is, whatever pr- prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands towards this house, 
Then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways that, you, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. So his prayer was that in the day of judgment, God would hear their prayer of penitence, that he would hear their petition for God's mercy. And then when Solomon blesses the temple, he says this. This is, uh, this is beautiful. He says this. This is from 1 Kings 8, verses, verse uh, 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Solomon's, be- Solomon's benediction at the, at the dedication of the temple was that God would be the one who acts to turn the hearts of the people back to him. And that's why Elijah is here. And that is what Elijah prays for. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And this rings of what happened at the dedication of the tabernacle in Leviticus. When Aaron prayed, all the priests were anointed and set aside for their priestly service. They put an offering on the altar and Aaron prayed and fire from heaven came down and went, took it all. And it was a sign it was a sign that God, that the offering was acceptable, right? That their, that their penitence, that their humility was received by God um, as, as faith. Now, um, we don't stop there. Verse 39, when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So they confess. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. Now, what's, what's so remarkable about uh, this turn of events is that uh, things had been so bad, right? Ahab brought things about as low as they could go. 450 prophets of Baal, one prophet of God. Um, you know, the, if the church is in that condition, it's, it's pretty dire, right? All 450 prophets of Baal are dead. There's one prophet, Elijah, okay? Things have turned around completely. Right? All of the prophets of Baal are slaughtered. Now look at what happens. He says to Ahab, Ahab, this, this fool of a king, this, uh, this fellow who doesn't, I mean, he doesn't know up from down, right? He, uh, Elijah says to him, go up, eat and drink, which, which calls to mind all of the covenantal meals that took place in the establishment of Israel. So when the people met um, at the mountain, uh, the, Moses and Aaron and his sons and 70 of the elders of Israel went up on the mountain and they ate and drank, right? Elijah is, is giving, this, giving this, uh, this, this meal to Ahab as a reestablishment of the covenant, which, when you think about it, is unbelievable, right? I, I don't think Ahab deserves it. Do you? <laughs> right? It's unbelievable, um, Ahab, was, Ahab was just going to ride the fence there. He was going to, you know, let the, we'll see how this plays out. Uh, but, but no, Elijah is concerned about the people of Israel, and so he reestablishes the covenant. God reestablishes the covenant with, with Ahab. And then there's this sort of symbolic action. Um, 
Notice how uh, we sort of returned to Eden. I've got to read this. I've got to read this whole section to you, okay? Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of rushing rain. The rain is going to come back. So Ahab, this is top of page 5. Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. Sabbath rest. At the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say, hey, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and the wind and, there was, and wind, and there was a great rain. Now listen, listen carefully to what happens. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was in Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So who's following who now? Ahab's following the prophet. Things have turned around, right? This is, I mean, in the story of Ahab, there's this resurrection that occurs. You wouldn't believe that it could happen, right? Ahab is as bad as they get. But there's this resurrection that occurs with the word of Elijah. And all of a sudden, the prophets of Baal are dead, and Ahab is following Elijah, okay? Um, If that's not, I mean, that's not a, a beautiful foreshadowing of the kind of mercy that God shows us that he sent his son while we were still sinners, right? Um, I mean, this, here it is, right here in the book of, of 1 Kings. Okay, we have a few more chapters to get through, so let's, let's plot. Any questions? Okay. Oh, Mike, sorry. Maybe it's just a detail. Uh, it says that uh, Ahab was riding, so he's presumably going faster than one could run. Yep. Is that, what, is that what the writer means when he says the hand of the Lord was on Elijah as if he gave him pace? Yep. Because it says he ran. Nike again. shoes, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was running really fast. <laughs> uh, that's, that's how I read it. And, and, but, and, 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 I mean, why does he tell us this, right? It's because it's, because it's so significant that, that Elijah precedes Ahab mm-hmm. entering into the city, right? Elijah, Elijah is uh, being followed by Ahab. Okay. Now, as, as is always the case in, in, in uh, the books of First and Second Kings, things don't, things don't stay good for very long. Because, remember why? Do you remember why they can't stay good for very long? What is the reason? Testing, okay. Um, not just testing. It's even stronger than testing. What is God doing to uh, the Davidic kingdom? Uh, he does that for he does that throughout the, the whole process. But what what has to happen before resurrection? Yeah. Right. Okay. So things can't stay good for very long because there are more idols to be crushed, more idols to be crushed. Okay. So the uh, all along Ahab is sort of driven by um, his marriage to Jezebel, and chapter nineteen tells us just you know just what goes on. Jezebel was responsible for killing all the prophets of Yahweh. And she says to Elijah, I mean, she's, she says, I'm going to, things are, things are not going to go well for you now. And so he, so he flees. And um, the, if you're interested in it, read chapter 19. There's this, there's this fascinating story about Elijah saying to God, you know, he's about ready to give up. He says, I'm the only one left. There's nobody left. Goes up on the mountain. Remember, remember how this goes. There's an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. There's, you know, wind, but God was not in the wind. And what, what was God in? The, the small voice, right? And what does God say to Elijah? He says, 
Um, first of all, you're not alone. I'm going to preserve a faithful remnant, 7,000 knees that haven't bowed to the, to, to the idol Baal. And um, I'm going to send a couple of people to help you out. Uh, Jehu, who's going to be a king down the road, he's going to, he's going to take care of business violently. And whoever he doesn't take care of business towards, Elisha is going to take care of business, right? So you're not alone. I'm, I'm, I'm still acting here, right? Um, and, and that's God's, words, God's word to Elijah. And, at, at, and right afterwards, he, he goes and he finds Elisha and anoints him, Put, throws his cloak on him, and Elisha follows him. Okay, Ch- chapter 20. Um, this one is so, okay, man. All right, all right. I, gotta, I think I'm going to have to skip. Nope, I have to do this. Okay, chapter 20. Um, Ahab, uh, Ahab follows the, the lead of Jezebel, and he, he goes to war against Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. And a whole bunch of battles ensue, and things go in their favor. Things go in the favor of Israel. Um, they win the battles because the Lord is fighting for them. But um, they, they were commanded to devote the people to destruction. Then that is a, that's, a, that's like a technical term for kill everybody and everything. And this is a constant stumbling block for the people of Israel that when they're told to do that, they don't do that. This was particularly true of Saul, who was supposed to devote the Amalekites to destruction, um, and instead he kept Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and held on to him for a little while until Samuel came along. This is one of my favorite stories. Samuel came along and said, who's this? And uh, Saul said, I, I kept, look, I got, a, I got a Gog, the king of the Amalekites. And, and Samuel said, no, you were supposed to kill him. And what did, uh, what did Samuel do to a Gog? Do you remember? He hacked him to pieces. Uh, the prophet takes the sword into his hand and does what Saul should have done. So now here, the same thing happens um, with Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad, they destroy the people, but, but Ahab keeps, keeps Ben-Hadad, the king of the Syrians, alive. Now, a prophet comes to Ahab and says this. A certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow at the command of the Lord. Actually, so let me, pause, let me back up. He's not saying this to Ahab. This is a prophetic scene. It's prophetic theater. Okay? So follow carefully. This is what happens. At a, a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow at the command of the Lord, Strike me, please. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have gone from me, a lion shall strike you down. And as soon as he had departed from him, a lion met him and struck him down. Right? So it's it's this prophetic theater. Ahab is the man who didn't strike when he was supposed to. And the lion is the threat of judgment. Okay? Then he found another man and said, Strike me, please. And the man struck him and struck him and wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way, disguising himself with a bandage over his eyes. And as the king passed, he cried to the king and said, Your servant, here's another prophetic, prophetic piece of theater. Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a soldier turned and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. Okay, so he's, say, he's saying to Ahab, I was in the field of battle, and I was given this enemy soldier to guard. All right? If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. Okay, so we, got three, we have two characters in the scene. We have the prophet who's pretending to be a soldier. Three, three characters. The prophet who's pretending to be a soldier. We have his imaginary soldier buddy. And then we have the, uh, the enemy soldier, okay? So his, his imaginary soldier buddy says to the prophet, 
who's pretending to be a soldier, guard this guy. If he goes missing, it's your life or a talent of silver. Everybody on board? You see what's happening so far? Okay. Now, the prophet says this to Ahab. And as your servant was busy here or there, the man was gone. The guy I was supposed to guard, he went missing. The king of Israel said to him, so shall your judgment be. You have decided it yourself. Right? You, you know what, what's got to happen. Your life or a talent of silver. Right? Then he hurried to, the ban- to take the bandage away from his eyes. Ahab came to the prophet, took the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets, and he said to him, the prophet said, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life, your life shall be for his life, and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house, vexed and sullen, and came to Samaria. Okay, there's a couple of things to think about. So that second... That second uh, tale that the, that the prophet tells to Ahab, it's either your life or a talent of silver. Uh, notice what's missing in what he says to Ahab, right? He says to Ahab, because you haven't devoted uh, Ben-Hadad to destruction, it's your life. There's no redemption. There's no, there's no talent of silver, nothing to redeem him, right? Um, now, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that there couldn't be redemption, right? It's just he, he didn't say it. What do you suppose a faithful king would do? What would his response be to that word? What was David's response to, behold, you are the man? Repent, Repent right? Uh, and, and he might have said, hey, in that story you told me, there was that talent of silver. Can I, you know, maybe, maybe there's some, some, maybe I can redeem myself, right? Because I, I know that I've sinned. But instead, what does he do? He goes, uh, goes away. He doesn't, he doesn't petition God. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't repent. He goes away uh, vexed and sullen. Uh, he's kind of a mopey guy, right? And that's, that's, sort, of the, that's sort of what, that's the story of, of Ahab. And that continues, that sort of mopiness continues in the next chapter. Everybody on board still? We're just cruising through these stories, I know. But there's a lot, it's, you, can, you can sort of digest this through the week, right? Okay. So the, the next story um, continues this theme of, uh, of uh, Ahab's mopiness. There's a fellow who has a vineyard, and Ahab wants the vineyard, but the guy won't sell it to him, and so he goes and mopes. And Jezebel, who's a woman of action, uh, sets up this scenario. They invite Naboth, the owner of the vineyard, to come and sit at this feast between two unseemly fellows who start hurling accusations at him, and then they get the guy killed, right? Because they said... Two, two witnesses, that's all you need, right? Um, and so then Jezebel says to Ahab, you can go and have the vineyard. Look, I got it for you, okay? So now Ahab is happy. But here we are on page six. Uh, again, um, the, God's clemency is, is unbelievable here. Um, do I have written in there for you verse 24? Yes. Would somebody read that, please? Anybody? Michael? Okay. Okay, so in the place where, where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick up your own blood, right? So here's a word of judgment to Ahab, but notice what's different about what follows. So Ahab has heard a word of judgment, and notice what happens. The writer of the Kings give us, gives us this parenthetical comment. Remember, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. 
He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. But when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Have you seen how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring disaster upon his house. Right. So even for Ahab, who again, we're reminded just how terrible he was. Even for Ahab, uh, there was repentance. Okay? Pretty good? Any questions? Okay. Let me just tell you this last story, uh, which is the last chapter in 1 Kings. We met in three weeks, we did it. Look at that. Um, Ahab, um, we, we hear another episode um, that tells us a little bit more about about Ahab's character. And this, this episode is interesting, uh, it, particularly because it tells us how, how Ahab died. Um, there was uh, King Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel at the time. We hear about him later. Um, and uh, The king of Judah at the time. And uh, Ahab and Jehoshaphat get together and they're going to go and reclaim some land that, was, that, that, that had belonged to the people of Israel. Um, and they say, well, we should probably talk to the prophets first. The prophets come along, and they all say, yep, go do it. It's going to be great. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to take this land. It's going to be just fine. And Jehoshaphat uh, smells something fishy about the, the situation. So he says, isn't there anybody else we can ask just to be sure? And Ahab says, uh, yeah, there's, there's another person we can ask, uh, Micaiah, the prophet, but I don't like him because he never says anything good about me. His prophecies are always bad. And Jehoshaphat says, well, Let's go get him and see what he has to say. Now, this is, this is, this is such a fascinating story. Micaiah, the prophet, comes and he says, I can, I can only say what the word of the Lord says to me. And uh, i gotta, I got to read to you exactly what it says. Because uh, Micaiah um, is, is, a, is a skillful rhetorician. He, uh, he's, he's ambiguous in what he says. So they ask him, they say, what's going to happen if we go up to battle? And Micaiah says... Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Now, there's a lot of ambiguity there. What's it and who's the king? Right? It's a, it's, no one, we don't know what he's talking about. But Ahab knows that Micaiah never says anything good about him. So Ahab says, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And so this is what Micaiah says. Fine. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would prophesy evil and not good concerning me? Okay, so now, so now they've got the real prophecy, the true prophecy from God. Um, and what do you think they do? do you, it's just, <laughs> Ahab's an, he's a fool. He says, I'm going to trick God. Okay, so I know, that the, I know the true prophet says things aren't going to go well. So Jehoshaphat, you wear your royal garments and go into battle. I'm going to dress up just like a regular old soldier so nobody will spot me on the field of battle. And uh, the people were looking, because the people were looking for the king in, in the battle. Now, Jehoshaphat goes into battle, and then when they see that it's not Ahab, they, they, they kind of hold back. And then you see what happens to Ahab. He thought he, could, he thought he could outdo the word of the prophet. Bottom of page 6, verse 34, But a certain man drew his bow at random, and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Just like that, he's done for, right? 
Um, and then I wrote, I wrote in another verse there, which was the, the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given to him, right? The dogs licked up his blood, um, and, the, and the prostitutes bathed in the pool where they had carried his body, right? So the end of Ahab is, is, um, is, not, is not great, <laughs> right? Um, but the theme of the story, again, I, I can't emphasize this enough, right? The theme of the story is God's steadfast love, his persistent loving kindness, okay? Um, uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't give up even on Ahab, right? Even on Ahab, he doesn't give up. Um, and, that is, and that is just, I mean, if that's, if that's not the gospel, um, if, that's not, if that's not an Old Testament articulation of the gospel, I don't know what else is, okay? Even on Ahab, God, God doesn't, doesn't give up. Any questions? All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.